Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 17 called Ellie. So I learned a lot today talking to Ellie. She is an American living in Paris, and she tells us how different infertility is in France versus in the United States. You're not going to believe some of the things that they do over there that are so awesome in support of women. And she fills us in on all the different things she tried over the years and all the different routes she went down. I could relate so much to so many of the things that she did. So this is a really good one. She's so cool. So thank you, Ellie, for talking to us. And thank you to our mutual friend, Sarah, for introducing us. Hope you guys like this one. Without further ado, this is Ellie's infertility story. So hi, Ellie. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So you are in Paris. I am. That's cool. I'd love to hear why and when you moved to France. And also, thank you so much for doing this and for reaching out. And we'll get into your whole story. But Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for wanting to hear the story. I, I think you're doing a great thing here. Thank you. So tell me about life in Paris. Paris is good. Um, we've lived here for about 12 years. Mm -hmm. In uh, 2007, we came, my husband and I are both from Austin. We met there, moved here so that I could do research for my PhD. We met while I was um, getting my PhD at the University of Texas at Austin. And okay. um, I was going to come over for a year to do research to finish up my PhD. And we had been together for a couple years at the time, and he was ready for a change. So we moved to Paris. We thought it was just going to be for a year at first, but we both ended up finding jobs and here we are 12 years later. You've written about your infertility journey and you said that you and your husband didn't talk that much about having kids until your late thirties. And then you went off the pill around 38. So mm -hmm. tell me about that and just your whole vision of like what your family was going to be and how you felt about having kids in general. Yeah, it's a good question. We we met when I guess I was about 32, so he would have been um, 34, and we met and fell in love, and it wasn't like we said we didn't want kids or we said we wanted kids. I don't know. It was just something that we didn't talk about. We just kept putting off, and then finally when I was, I guess we got married when I was 37, and then about a year later, we thought, well, should we do this, I guess? Because I'm 38 now, and if we want to, you know, we should probably decide now. So we kind of just sat down and talked about it. I mean, I, I remember the day very clearly. We sat down and had a conversation and talked about pros and cons. And um, at the end of it, we thought, yeah, let's do it. Can you tell me a little bit about that pros and cons list? Do you remember what was on it? Yeah, I remember very well. It was, um, I mean, at the time we had been living in Paris already for about five years and we were having a great expat life, you know? We were both working um, as professors, so we had an academic schedule, so we had a lot of vacation. We were living in Europe and really enjoying, you know, weekends in Lisbon and Rome. And um, one of the big things was our you know, are we going to be okay with giving that kind of lifestyle up? Mm -hmm. um, that would be a huge change, obviously, with a kid. And we also talked about um, 
the environmental impact. You know, the world is a very overpopulated place. And both of us thought, you know, do we want to bring another human into this world? Kind of discussion like that. And then on the other side, it was just, um, we just thought it would be really fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had a lot of friends at that time who had already had kids and were starting to have kids. And it just, it looked like fun. And it just looked like, it was something just as human beings, we thought we want to experience this, you know, it's kind of the most human thing you can do, right? Reproduce. Mm -hmm. So we thought we want to have a life where we experience this thing. So let's do it. Mm -hmm. So once you started trying, did that put any pressure on the relationship or what happened? No, at first. (laughs) No, when we, when we started trying. First it's fun, right? You're like, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even after that conversation, we obviously weren't in any hurry because that conversation I remember was in summertime and we thought, okay, well, we're going to Thailand for Christmas this year. Let's wait till after that. And then I'll get off the pill. So yeah, I just, I went off the pill. I remember it was January. Let's see, it was January, 2012. And um, yeah, it was just like, okay, let's do it. Because of course, you know, everybody in retrospect is very naive in these situations. I thought, um, you know, I'll go off the pill and, uh, and we'll get pregnant and won't that be great? Right. I love that you wrote, like, if you stop taking the pill, the opposite will happen. So it's yeah. just really easy. Which- well, talk, I don't know, talk about being naive. I mean, you know, there's this thing, the pill is this amazing thing that has liberated, you know, so many women from being baby machines or whatever. So you take this pill and you don't get pregnant. And I think it, for me anyway, it gave me this idea that you're, you're, you actually have control over your fertility. And I, so you, you control both sides of it was what I would think, you know, if you control not having children, you can also control having children because you have control of your fertility and isn't that great. And I mean, I was 38, so I, I, I definitely had the age thing in my head, but I, I think I had it in my head always that 40 was like the big the big barrier, you know, like you're fertile until you reach 40. And then like the day after you turn 40, all of a sudden your infertility right. goes down. Yeah. Which is, Why do you think 40 was in your head? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, everything I've read since, of course, says it starts to decline at, at 35. But um, I don't know. I had this, this number 40 in my head. But even with that, I had um, two very good friends. My best friend was one of them who had gotten pregnant after 40. And um I thought, yeah, I'm 38, but you know, that still leaves us two years till I turn 40. So that's all going to be fine. And I was healthy and I am healthy and, Mm -hmm. you know, exercised, ate well. So you, you know, you have this idea in your head that, um, yeah, it's all good. I'll go off the pill and we'll get pregnant. Right. Because on the other side too, I'd taken the pill for, for 20 years. It's like, Mm -hmm. why? Why, why was I even taking the damn thing at the end of the day? Right. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. I got so pissed off about that afterwards. I was like, you know, after we'd been trying for a while and I couldn't get pregnant, I thought, why the hell was I taking that thing even? It was such a pain and it wasn't even doing anything, obviously. It's like, is it a big pharma scam that we all like? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. for sure. I mean, I started taking the pill when I was probably like 15. And yeah, I started at 18. on it also for like 20 years. Yeah, exactly. I was on it for 20 years. Yeah. So had you been going to any doctors at this point or specialists or were you just kind of? No. Okay. I, um, I waited. I, I didn't, I mean, I talked to my general practitioner 
when I was thinking about getting pregnant and going off the pill and he said, okay, well, you know, here's start, start taking some folic acid and, um, and, you know, let me know when you get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And, um, I went off the pill and, you know, the months started ticking away and I had a real, I realized after the fact, I had a real mental block with going to see a fertility specialist and with doing all the tests that one does to, you know, to see how the hormone levels are and everything. I didn't do that till about a year in. I just had this kind of mental block against medical intervention for some reason. I wanted to just, as everybody does, I wanted it to happen naturally. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was after about six months of trying that I thought, okay, you know, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should start Googling some things. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I still kind of took a really natural approach to it. I kind of started looking at, you know, effects of diet. I thought maybe I should cut back on my drinking, mm-hmm. um, things like that. I just kind of started Googling how to boost your fertility in a very general way. Right. And gosh, you can go into such a wormhole with all of that stuff. Oh my God. But <laughs> I, Let's I, talk about I think I went down every hole on the internet during the, the, the whole process. Right. The internet is your best friend and your enemy. It's so funny. I totally related to this article that you wrote for The Cut because I tried so many of the same and the, even the way you described it, like, so tell me about acupuncture and hippy dippy midwife and essential oils. And you even went to a psychic, which I did too, which made me laugh. Oh, I mean, like, I don't know if you, I, I think you don't have enough time for me to talk about everything no, we I do. did. I it's so just, so- I did everything. I mean, if you Google it, I did it. Yeah. I, I went to a, um, yeah, hippy dippy midwife, a friend had recommended and, you know, she, massaged my feet with essential oils and prescribed some some drops that were other essential oils and asked me about my childhood and mm-hmm. and um, that was kind of the first thing I did and you know it was great it feels great to have your feet massaged no matter sure. what the situation right <laughs> right it can only help right um and then yeah I talked to another psychic kind of a psychic healer and who a friend had recommended um who, you know, told me about my past lives and how that was creating blockage. And the whole time too, part of me, I, I mean, I have a very analytical brain to begin with. And part of me is just like, yeah, whatever. Okay. But this other part of me is like, what if she's right? What right. if I'm missing out on this thing? And that's what happens. And as I'm sure you realized, you reach this point where you're like, I can't afford not to try everything. Like, yeah. I can't afford not to eat pineapple core. Like, why wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't I eat maca root? Like, why wouldn't I change my diet? Why mm-hmm. wouldn't I do this or that? Because what yeah. if that's the one thing that's going to make the difference? Yeah. Tell me about pineapple core. It's supposed to help with your, I think it's like a blood thinner and it's just supposed to help after a general circulation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, remember, I, I, I did, you know, everything. Like I, I remember I went like deep into Chinatown and got yes. this like woo woo tea that yes. I was supposed to drink, you know, three times a day and it tasted like dog shit and it was the I worst. And I was like too. choking it down, but I was like, this has to work. It's so bad. It has to work. Yes. But the acupuncture that went along with it, I, I really enjoyed that actually did help relax me in a very general way and, and calm my, my, um, you know, my brain that was just reeling all the time. Right. 
I'd love to get into, because I haven't spoken to anybody in France yet for the podcast, but I'd love to talk about just in general, you know, the, the French kind of perspective on infertility and like, what were you noticing? Like culturally, is it different there than you would think it is in, in the U.S.? Just the fact that that uh, infertility treatments are covered by the national health care just makes it a whole different game over here, really. I cannot imagine having gone through it all while also having to worry about what it costs. Right. So tell me what the, the deal is. Is it that fertility treatments are covered in France until one's 43rd birthday? Is that yes. what it is? So okay. until a woman turns 43 years old, she can have... Um, six artificial inseminations and four IVF Mm -hmm. tries. Yeah. Four tries at IVF. That's incredible. It's amazing. It's amazing. So it, it, it just removes this whole part of the, of the, of the stress. Right. That you don't, you don't have to worry where the money for the, you know, the next IVF is going to come from. You don't go into your savings. It's just considered another medical procedure over here. So Mm -hmm. that part is fantastic. Right. So are there people who moved to France specifically for that reason? Yes, I think that, well, in Europe anyway, apparently Spain is the big um, infertility destination. Okay. Which I learned also through this, but kind of for some of the same reasons. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, I remember going for some some blood tests for, I don't know, one of the umpteen procedures I had done. <laughs> And the woman who was taking my blood was talking about how there were um, several women who would take the train over from England, take Uh the Eurostar over like super early in the morning to have blood work done and do their procedures in France and then take the train back that night to like to London. You know, it's like two and a half hours on the Eurostar to London because it was a lot cheaper and more accessible here in France. Okay. So yeah, it does happen. There is like traveling for 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 fertility treatments. Yeah. Okay, so what was happening in your in your life? Like I said, it took me about a year in until I even did the general tests, you know, to make sure everything was going okay, like hormone levels and everything. And everything was fine. And I did a, an ultrasound, you know, a pelvic ultrasound. Everything was fine. No red flags or anything. And then I think a year and a half in, I actually went to a fertility specialist who was recommended by a friend, and he actually started just with um, injectables, meaning you just do the shots, mm-hmm. which, you know, that, which stimulates um, ovaries, it stimulates your ovaries, but you don't do uh, an artificial insemination or anything. Then you just, um, they, they follow your, they follow the development of your eggs, and basically they tell you, you know, when you should have sex, basically. Okay, uh-huh. Um, and you do the and you do like a trigger shot, like they you stimulate you stimulate ovarian production, and then they they follow the development, and then they tell you when to do the trigger shot, and they tell you like okay, and then go for it for like the next forty eight hours. Okay. So I did a couple of those. I don't even know if those are really done in the states. I think so. I don't. I haven't I think, heard. Of that, I think actually. I think Clomid is the dra- the drug they use in the states for gotcha. that. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Yes. So I did a couple of those, and which were you know pointless as far as I'm concerned, especially at my age. <laughs> but whatever, I'm not the doctor. Right. Um, and it wasn't until two years after I went off the pill that I did the first artificial insemination. And I ended up doing three of those over like a period of seven or eight months. Okay. And none of them took. And they didn't take. Yeah. yeah. And those okay. are also a little bit, I don't know, pointless, I think. Yeah. Woman, I kind of a woman have... over 40. 
Yeah. I don't know if it's controversial, but I kind of feel like that too. Like I did, yeah. I did a couple of those too. And I was like, really? I don't know. Yeah, I know. So, um, and then that was, so that was with the first doctor that I saw. Okay. Who, so um, who I didn't love. Okay. So yeah, you were saying that he seemed a little condescending. Can you he tell me about condes- that? Yeah, he was very condescending. He looked, um, I mean, he's just so stereotypically French and I don't know what that means to a lot of people, but he like had this, he was like, you know, super suntanned and like long hair, kind of always, he looked like he had just gotten off a boat always, like, <laughs> like kind of like windswept like this. I don't know. It's a very French look to me. Yeah. Um, and he was a little bit condescending and like, I would email him questions, I remember, and and he would answer me and his emails would be in all caps. And I would be like, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> He's like, I'm on a boat. It's hard to exactly. Talk right now. Like, that's because that's the way it is in all caps. I was like, oh God, please. Stop. Wow. He had a little um a little sign hanging in his office that said, for some reason in English, it said, Want kids? Take mine. Oh geez. In his in his fertility in office? His office. And he's a fertility doctor in oh, Paris. And he had this sign in English. And I just always thought, my God, that's a little bit insensitive. Don't yes. You? Oh my God. Anyway, he, I was just like, okay, this is not working. And I also talked to him after the third IUI and I said, you know, at this point I was 41 and a half. I thought, I asked him, shouldn't we maybe be doing IVF? Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh no, the IUIs are fine. Let's continue with that. So at that point I thought, eh, no, I think I'm going to change doctors. Yeah. So, um, so I did, I changed doctors and, um, went to this other man who was basically the complete opposite. He was just really, really sweet and kind and, um, and he listened, he was not condescending at all. Mm-hmm. He was, um, he was also one of the literally like the best IVF specialist in France was one of the first ones to do it in France. So once I saw him, he, um, you know, I just instantly thought he was just such a kind, sweet man. Okay. That um, I wanted to work with him. And he agreed that, yes, we should do IVF. Okay. So were they saying like physically, like that there was any sort of issue or was it just mostly like an age thing or like? Had you yeah, everything, pills? everything was fine. I mean, okay. for, I was at this point, I was 41. My numbers were good. I don't remember the the what is the thing they test for fsh which is supposed to show your ovarian reserve or something and amh those numbers were all fine for a 40 year old they wouldn't have been fine for a 20 year old but they were Uh yeah and i I reacted well to the to the drugs and the ovarian stimulation so yeah on the surface no there was there was there was nothing okay so let me ask you this how are you mentally like doing at this point through all of this was it was it hard on you? Was it taking a toll on your relationship? I was a total and complete mess. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I got relate to that. Tell me more. I mean, a total mess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 at this point, we're almost three years in when I did the IVF, but <laughs> backing up a bit. Yeah. After about a year, I, uh, I started to get really depressed. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed. It was all I thought about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I look back and I I don't like that person. I became negative. You know, I was jealous of friends and mm-hmm. 
you know, every pregnancy announcement from somebody I knew would just send me into a, a spiral of depression, which is, which I'm ashamed of, you know, it's a shameful thing that you can't, you get in this depression spiral and it, 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 you can't feel joy for your friends at a certain level. And that just, yeah, that was hard. That was really, it's so common though. I mean, now that I'm like more immersed in this community of like infertility and on these, you know, Instagram, mostly there's so many people talking about how hard it is to see these pregnancy announcements. And I guess on Facebook now they do a thing where it's like, who's going to get pregnant this year. And they list all these people's names and it's just like, Oh, good Lord. social media stuff is like really hard to bear. So I get it. At I'm- one point on Facebook, I, I don't look at Facebook so much anymore, but at one point um, there was a pregnancy announcement on Facebook. It was just a friend of a friend too. And it, it but it, it just triggered me into a really, really bad depression. And I, I had my husband change my password on Facebook so, so you that I look could not get on it if I wanted to. Yeah. And I just, I had to take a break. Yeah, but it was it was it was bad. I I um, I was depressed, and I was, and it, it took a huge toll on our relationship. Mm-hmm. I was I would not have wanted to be married to me at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I, if I got my period on a day when we had a some sort of social engagement planned, I, I couldn't go. My husband would have to cancel or show up without me and make an excuse and. Mm-hmm. I, I, I went to a really negative place and um, it, it, it took a big toll on the relationship. I think there was a, a time, which was a few months before um, we did IVF, there was a time when I wasn't sure we were going to make it mm-hmm. and we did and thank God. And my husband was amazing through all of it. I mean, he was really supportive and understanding stayed positive for all my negativity mm-hmm. and um, he was fantastic. And I think this is also a, a, a theme. My husband's case, he, he spent so much time and effort and emotional energy taking care of me that he couldn't take care of himself. And he, I mean, not in a bad way, he was fine. He was functioning, but he had to kind of you know, he had to kind of stifle his own emotion just to be able to deal with all of mine, mm-hmm. just to get through it. And he, um, you know, the men or the partners, I think they're also going through it. It's not happening in their body, but obviously they're also going through it. And they, I don't know, they get, they get ignored a bit. And what, what turned it around for me mentally anyway, was I kind of reached rock bottom where I, I realized I can't, I can't go on like this. I can't, I can't let my period or a friend getting pregnant or something like that send me to bed for two days. It's just, mm-hmm. it's untenable. And, and that's when I started seeing a therapist about it. And it was um, somebody who um, practiced and taught mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that helped me. I, I think that's, that, that's what saved me. I, I started meditating and um, meditation from a kind of a mindfulness perspective. And, uh, and I, it saved me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't, I can't recommend it enough for anybody who's going through it. Yeah. Is, is that still something like a tool that you use now? Like, yeah, I try to go back to it every now and then. And, um, and it, it's even, even just going back to it for a couple of days, it kind of, it's like a little, a booster. It kind of, mm-hmm. it, it helps a lot. It helps a lot because mm-hmm. what it did was, I mean, the pain and the devastation was still there. The pain was still there every time I got my period, but I was able to 
just live the pain for what it was and move on a little and then move on. Right. It wouldn't just absolutely cripple me. Right. I was able to look at it and say, okay, this is what it is. It sucks. Oh my God, this sucks. And let's keep going. Right. So you said that you were kind of terrified to start IVF. Can we talk about what happened when you did? Yeah. Well, I I was scared because, um, yeah, with IVF, I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's it, right? As far as having a a biological child. Right. And, um, and also I was kind of up against the clock with, with um, the treatments being covered in France. I was Mm -hmm. almost 42 when we did IVF. Um, but we did it, and um, the first um, the first cycle, we did a fresh transfer, so did a retrieval, and then did a three-day transfer right after, um, and uh, it didn't work, Okay, which was So I think you said you'd gotten like nine eggs, right? Yeah, and yeah. Fertilized? Yeah, the numbers were all pretty good. Again, for my age and the perspective of my age, we got nine eggs, and um, yeah, and and all all nine of them fertilized, which is rare. Even our doctor was like, "Hmm, "Yeah, that's pretty interesting." He was surprised. So, was that did that make you feel hopeful? Well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And but it also begs the question, like, well, what has been happening this whole time? Because obviously, like, our stuff likes one another. Like, when it gets together, <laughs> it does what it's supposed to do. Uh-huh. So what was happening, you know, in me that either our stuff wasn't getting together or I don't know. So they all fertilized. But then at that point, six were still growing. Mm-hmm. We're still developing. Um, and we transferred two. And then they were able to freeze two more at the the five day mark. Mm-hmm. So the first, so the, the fresh transfer didn't work, which was um, devastating. But yeah. you know, as sad as it sounds, too, it's like you reach this point where you're just like, yeah, okay, you know, it it, it didn't work, just like all the other stuff. Right, you kind of get used to the, the you failure. Get, and you get used to disappointment and failure, right. even though you have all this hope, it's just... Right, right, right. So we were able to freeze two embryos. Okay. And, um, and then two months later, we did the frozen embryo transfer. Okay, yes. And that was successful. Yay! After we left the clinic, after the frozen embryo transfer... Like, I remember even telling the taxi driver, there are a lot of cobblestone streets in Paris. Mm-hmm. I asked him to avoid the cobblestone streets because I didn't want to be jostled. <laughs> right. <laughs> I get it. Like, things like that. Like, I stopped riding my bike. Like, I didn't, I didn't want to move. Like, I was really, I was nervous on the metro that somebody was going to bump into me. Right. I just was in a daze, just like ticking off the well, days like on the calendar like- until I could test. Right. You kind of want to wrap yourself in bubble wrap and just be like, don't let me touch anybody. until Absolutely. Yeah. So then when you found out what was, how did that feel? When Um, you found out it was positive? We found out it was positive. And um, so the way our, the way the lab did it was um, they, you, you get an email that your results are ready and then you go online and you look at this PDF and, um, and, it was, well, it was weird because when I first looked at the PDF, 
Um, and you know, it shows you the level, uh, the, the beta number, the level of um, whatever it is, HCG. HCG, yeah. Yeah. Um, the first thing I saw was a zero. Mm. And I was just, I thought, oh my God, it didn't work again. Mm -hmm. It didn't work again. But then I looked more closely and what it was doing was giving me the last result for the last blood test I had taken. Okay. Which was the first IVF. Oh God. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Wait, what? That's a zero, but that date's not right. What's going on? And then I looked on the next line and it said 81. And I thought, okay. And then I looked at the date and at this point my brain like couldn't really process what was happening. I was like, is this right? Is that an 81? Is that not a zero? Right. Like, is this, like, is this really happening? Am I reading this right? Right. Give us all these charts and graphs that we have to decide. I know. And it's, you know, it's this PDF from a lab that has, you know, numbers and, 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 and words you don't understand everywhere. And it's all in French, of course, which is an added oh. level of, right. of, of, mis of potential misunderstanding. Oh but I finally God. figured it out and I saw this 81 and I was just in shock. My husband was there looking with me at this PDF and I was just in shock and I saw this 81 which is a positive. Right. It's like, oh my God, it's a positive. But then immediately my brain went, wait, 81. That's not very high, is it? Like, right. What, is that okay? So then of course I started Googling like, you know, betas at whatever days past transfer. Right. Um, but, but it was positive. I was pregnant. And, and it was just... I was just in disbelief. And I had also, throughout our whole journey, I had never gotten pregnant once. I, I did not, I was not somebody who, you know, got pregnant and, and lost pregnancies and, and went through the horror of miscarriage. Mm -hmm. I never got pregnant, ever. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just, again, walking around in a daze because this number was 81. It was positive but you had to wait two days to take another blood test. And you know, the number is supposed to double uh -huh. um, 48 hours later. So okay. 48 hours later, I, you know, I was scheduled for another blood test that morning. And I remember very distinctly the morning of the blood test. Um, you know, you have to go in super early before you eat anything or whatever. Right. And I woke up and I had really bad cramps. Oh God. I know. And I was literally laying in bed, looking at the ceiling, thinking I have to go get a blood test and these cramps, this can't be good. I mean, I was having really bad cramps, which can be normal. And it turned out was normal, but I, I just remember going to the lab for this blood test with cramps thinking, Oh my God, please, 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 please. Mm -hmm. And got that blood test. And, um, and the number was 132. Okay, so it hadn't doubled, but... So it hadn't doubled. But so it's still increasing. But it's still increasing. So I'm still thinking, oh my God, it's, it's up. But it hasn't doubled. So I waited for the call from the, the doctor's office too, because they had gotten the same results. And I remember the woman told me, um, or I, I got the, the voicemail and she said, um, well, it's 132. She said, it's going up slowly. Mm -hmm. And I could just hear this hesitation in her voice, like, this is not the best number ever. So then I had to wait another 48 hours oh for another blood test and also having cramps, no bleeding or anything. Right. But having but, never been pregnant before, you're probably like, I don't know. Like, how am I exactly, supposed to Exactly. Right? I, I don't know. Like, this feels like a period. Mm -hmm. um, 
and um and you know every time i went to the bathroom too i was just yeah petrified like yeah. every time i went i had to pee i would just hold my breath and just pray for no blood same i'd be like no 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 please please yeah. please please no please no please no please no yeah same and um and then finally, I think after the third or even the fourth blood test, it finally, the numbers, you know, went up and did what they were supposed to do. So we went in for the seven week um, appointment. Um, well, first of all, so, you know, you get the, the first blood test at, at four weeks, basically. And I couldn't wait that I had to wait. I couldn't believe I had to wait another three weeks to see the doctor. There's like, so much fucking waiting. <laughs> I know. Like I called and they're like, yeah, you're pregnant. Yeah, the, the blood tests look good. Let's make an appointment for three weeks from now. And I remember thinking, what? What? I want to come over there and, 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 and party right now. Let's come right. over and let's do this. I want, I want to see the doctor. I want this to happen. Yeah. And like, okay, come back in three weeks. I say, like, okay. Yeah. So we went for the seven-week appointment. And um, he did the ultrasound and everything was fine. There was a heartbeat and um, which is another thing, you know, that you always have visions of the ultrasound with the heartbeat and holding your husband's hand and, you know, looking into one another's eyes and, and uh, which we did some of, but, um, and then the doctor said, you know, so there's a heartbeat, everything looks great, but at your age, um, you have a 40% chance of miscarrying in the next two weeks. Oh my God. <sighs> At which point I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> what? Like, right. when, when do I get to do the celebrating? Like, of when course, can you I relax and exactly. Exhale. Yeah. Because, and also going through infertility, especially in my case, I had never gotten pregnant. It's like you have this idea, like, once you get pregnant, it's, you know, let the confetti go. We're there. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like step after step after step. Mm -hmm. And again, it was just me being naive because obviously through the whole pregnancy I had, you know, I was still, I was still bracing myself every time I peed through the whole pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so he told me you have a 40% chance of miscarrying over the next two weeks. And um, I just remember leaving his office like, what? Mm-hmm. Where's the bubble okay. wrap? <laughs> okay, two weeks. And, and those two weeks, I, it was just more of walking around in a, in a daze. I, 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 I literally didn't let myself sneeze, literally. Like if I felt a sneeze coming on, I held my nose. Oh my God. Like literally, I just like no <laughs> sudden movements, you know, nobody touched me. Yeah. Had you told your friends and family and stuff at this point or? Um, no, well, we hadn't. And I, I think part of that is a function of just being in a different country. I mean, I think if we had been in the States when this was happening and I was, you know, seeing my really close friends more regularly, probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I had we had friends over here in France, but not the level of closeness we had closeness we had in the states. Right. There was one friend I I I, I told as the process was happening, who was a friend in the states who had gone through infertility herself and um, had just been an amazing amazing source of support for me through for years at that point through the whole process. Thank you, Julene. <laughs> um, and and I, she was the only one I told. Okay. Like literally in real time as it was happening. And looking back, I don't know. I don't know why we didn't share it as it was happening. I think it was just, I don't know, fear of also sharing the failures, I guess. 
I think also too, sometimes it's just exhausting to talk about it, to it is. take somebody into your journey. And then, you know, if something happens or goes wrong, then you have to, oh, now I have to call this person. And, and All right. And then you feel person. bad because they feel bad. Right. And no one knows what to say and it's awkward. And it is. then also with friends who haven't gone through it, I mean, you know, their hearts are in the right places, but they just can't understand. Yeah. They just can't. No, they can't understand what you're going through. So it's, yeah, it's kind of like sparing them the pain that you're going through. So, yep. so at the time, no. I mean, everybody knew that, I, that we were trying and that, that it was an issue and mm-hmm. that it had been a while, our friends and family. But as far as when the processes were happening, no, we didn't mm-hmm. share that level of detail. Mm-hmm. So was the next, the next step was the nine-week appointment? Yeah, so two weeks later, we went back for the nine-week appointment, and um, I mean, I was I was a wreck, and we, were, my husband and I, were both so nervous, and mm-hmm. it. I mean, I, I'm, my heart is beating right now. Just for me too. I have a stomach ache, even though I know the outcome. I'm like feel sick <laughs> to my stomach. I'm sorry. I'm like right there. I'm right back there in that room with you. You know, yeah, it I was. Know. It was. Um, it was nerve-wracking. It was nerve-wracking, and. The, our doctor, too, was just so sweet because he obviously knew, you know, what we were feeling. And he, he was an infertility specialist. So, I mean, think about the statistics that he sees. Most of the women he worked with were over 40, like me, and that's not a great success rate. So if you're him, you know, you're much more used to seeing unsuccessful IVFs than IVFs. So... And, um, but he was so nice and he, I I swear, he also seemed a little nervous for us. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I I got up on the table and, and, um, he inserted the, the ultrasound wand and as soon as he put it in and saw the heartbeat, he just, he just said, he said, it's okay. Everything's okay. Like it was, I was so thankful that he, he didn't want me to have to wait an extra millisecond yeah more than was necessary to tell me that everything looked fine yeah oh god that must have felt good and finally a little bit at least you can finally. probably ex- a little finally. bit finally right? yes exactly yeah. finally and so this was at nine weeks maybe ten mm-hmm. um, nine and a half and um for some reason yeah for him that was the everything is going to be okay mark right mm-hmm. you know so that's when I, that's when I graduated. <laughs> I feel like they should give you a little diploma, you know? Absolutely. And then you no longer party. need an infertility specialist here. Yes. Yes. I remember my, my person was like, all right, call us when you deliver. And I was like, what? I'm done here. Yeah. I remember he said, as I left his office that day, he said, bon closes, which means, you know, have a good pregnancy. Oh, I love that. <laughs> very sweet. Very, very Aww. sweet. So then how was your pregnancy and everything? It was great. It, it was you know, textbook. It was wonderful. Um, I, um, let's see, I got pregnant in um, February. And um, as I said, we live on an academic schedule. So uh, we decided to spend that summer at the beach in Barcelona. Amazing. Yeah. So we just really, really, really focused on just relaxing. We normally go back to the States every summer, but I didn't want to, I didn't even want to fly. Mm-hmm. I did not want to get on a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we decided to stay in Europe and go to Barcelona and just take it day by day and just 
chill out. So wonderful. And did you know the gender of the baby at that point or no? Um, let's see. I found out, um, let's see, it was the end of June, however far along that was. I don't know, whatever anatomy scan okay. where you normally get that information. Although I, I went back to Paris for some of the um, medical appointments from Barcelona and, um, and my husband did not come with me for that particular appointment. So I didn't want to find out without him. So what I did was I, um, I, I, I bought a card and I wrote um, fille et garçon, girl or boy in French, uh-huh. a little box next to each of them. And I gave the card to the doctor and I said, could you please check off the right box and don't let me see it and put it yeah. in this envelope? <laughs> oh, good. So we found out, but I waited till I got back to Barcelona and we opened the card together and found, okay. out, and found yeah. out that it was a garçon. A garçon? <laughs> yes. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about like having an early, like an infant in France and a little bit more about what that's like. I know, I think yeah. there's 16 weeks paid maternity leave, right? Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty amazing over here, especially awesome. for being an American going through it here. I mean, the, for the French, it's normal, of course, the, mm-hmm. the amazing medical care and support that you get both mm-hmm. before and uh, through your pregnancy. But for, for an American, I was like, what? 16 weeks of paid maternity leave? Um, and yeah, and, and that's four weeks before your due date and, and it's obligatory. So you have to stop work a month before you're due. Wow. Which is so great because it's they, so great. it's so great for the mother there, you know, the, the, the thought here is just, you know, you're about to, you're about to make a human. Let's just relax for a little bit before that happens, you know, yes. just go home, stop working. So four weeks before your due date and then, uh, 12 weeks after. Uh-huh. And then that's all fully paid, and it's of course um, mandated by law. So and wonderful. yeah, and the um, the the prenatal care is fantastic, and it's all covered, all the classes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is covered. The hospital stay was completely covered. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get to stay a little bit longer in the hospital too. Then yeah, in the, in the state, like, like don't like, let the door hit you on the way out. Like yeah, totally which good. I totally don't understand because a lot of people just end up going back with things right. like the problems like jaundice and things like that. But no, for a first baby here, it's four nights for your first baby, four mm-hmm. nights in the hospital, and for um, subsequent babies, three nights. Mm-hmm. I ended up staying five nights just because. Um, my son uh, had a little trouble getting the hang of breastfeeding, so I stayed an extra night. Um, but it's fantastic. So I had five days in the hospital where literally I press a button and somebody would come answer any questions I had, bathe the baby, help me with breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. The support here is amazing. That's so wonderful. So That's tell great. me, tell me about your son. What's his name, and what what's your favorite part of being his mommy? His name is Bennett, and okay. um, he's uh, he's amazing. He's wonderful. He he's and three and a half he now. Three? He's okay. three and a half. He loves um, he loves trucks and hugs, Aww. and um, he's just the sweetest thing ever. Oh, I'm so Sorry, happy. I'm about to cry talking no, about it. No, I know. I get the same way, tearing up. And I have a three, almost three and a half year old too, my little guy. So we were going through this around the same time. Yeah. Any advice maybe for someone listening who's having a hard time about just the process or maintaining hope or kind of anything that helped you get through all of this stuff that you wanted to share? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, so much. I mean, the, the, 
the biggest thing I think is just you're not broken. Yeah. That's what I would tell somebody going through this because you go through this and you just feel broken. You just feel like you're not a whole person. You're not a whole woman. It's, it's, that's not the case. You're not broken. It's, it, it's, it's something that most often can be fixed medically. I mean, you know, when you have bad vision and you have to get glasses, you know, you don't feel like you're broken, right? Right. In a lot of cases, you know, you, you can do it. Don't just keep, just keep at it. Mm-hmm. And I think also there's, you know, I think there's a baby out there for everybody, even if it's not the path get to that baby that you had envisioned Mm -hmm. there's a baby out there it might not be how you thought the baby would come or when but I think there's a baby out there for everybody who Mm -hmm. wants one Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that oh this is so good Ellie (laughs) thank you so I'm sorry I made you cry that's okay I'm a little bit emotional my my grandmother died yesterday and I'm I'm so sorry it's okay it's okay she was 103 years old oh wow that's amazing I'm I'm a little bit emotional to them yes she was she was 100 years older than my son oh my gosh is she in the states she was she was in the states yeah did your son get to meet her they did meet and that was also amazing for me um and um and yeah a hundred years older than your son I love this and she died yesterday at 103 and it's the the whole process is 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 linked emotionally too I you know I didn't get a pre I didn't get pregnant till she was 99 years old and almost turning a hundred. And I remember just being so grateful that she could meet my son. That's so cool. A hundred. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for taking the time and telling your story. And this is, this is Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. And thank you to our mutual friend for introducing us, Sarah. Yeah. Shout out to Um, Sarah. Shout out. She's the greatest. And um, I hope to come back to Paris sometime and maybe we can grab a coffee I would love to. A glass of wine. (laughs) I would love to. Probably more so a glass of wine, yes. Okay, done. Hey again, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to Ellie for being so honest and open about her story. How cool is that bit about her grandmother? I just love that so much. So I'm so happy I got to meet her. And again, thanks to our friend Sarah for hooking us up. Thanks to all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, head over to the podcast page and do a quick review and rate the podcast so that we can get a lot more exposure. We want this to keep growing. So thank you guys. Talk to you next time.